Fellas, fellas, what's going on? Good to see y'all. Good to see y'all. We almost at 180, yo. Episode wow. 180. Yeah. This is 179. We're like coming up there, like, you know, episode 200 is around the bend. Um, but it's so good to see y'all. Um, Chris, you started something last week that I've, I really enjoyed. Um, I think it's just important conversation to have every day with yourself as well as with others. What'd you read? What'd you write? What you learn about? What you thinking about? Um, so we're gonna start off with, uh, you know, start off with that. So, um, Cole, what you got, Doc? Um, let's see. I'm in the middle of writing a bunch of different reports, man. So we have um, a follow up to the the Black Report, basically Black led, you know, charter networks from the voices of Black students. We did a Brown version, so the copy for that is done and that's being edited, and it'll be beautiful and should be out in a few weeks. The Oakland Report on uh, continuation schools and people understanding it and like um you know basically how oakland pushes out black and brown kids like it, we start with a number in freshman year and right now the third largest uh holder of black seniors and brown seniors are both continuation schools respectively and uh and just been working man um and, and just trying to stay on the grind stand out the way it's been a lot happening so i'm happy to see y'all though man it's good to see you boys yeah i feel you i feel you Stewart. All right. What's the so, W with the win? <laughs> the W for the win. Uh, maybe this will stand for Washington Post uh, tonight because the one thing that I wanted to bring up is my thing that I read that I learned this week uh, is in the Washington Post. I got it right here. The most regretted and lowest paying college majors. Almost half of humanities and arts majors regret their choice and enrollment in those disciplines is sharply declining. This is a survey, a uh, federal survey that they're talking about where uh, two out of five people regret their major um, and the highest regrets are for those that, um, that did humanities, social and behavioral sciences, vocational and technical training and education. The lowest regrets are people went into engineering, computer and information sciences, physical sciences and math, health, life sciences, and law. So I have a theory about this. My quick theory is... One makes money of, and the other one don't? <laughs> well, I mean, you you know, some of these humanities folks will write books and, you know, they'll make money. They'll, they'll repackage their trainings and they'll become experts and gurus and something. That's right. how you make your money in, in that field. But these other ones require a hard discipline. So when you make your decision to go into one of these, it's not by accident. It's not because it's the last thing available or the easiest lift or, you know, I was interested in criminology or in, in social stuff, or I like psychology. I like, you know, the way uh -huh. people think, whatever. It's not based on that. Because right. if you go into engineering or one of these other, you know, uh, hard degrees, computer information sciences, physical sciences, health, life sciences, law, you better love, you better have something that lets you know ahead of time that you love this mm -hmm. because the education part of it is going to be grueling if it's mm -hmm. not something that you're into. Whereas some of these other ones, I think we push a lot of people into college and they go the path of least resistance. I'm going to go to college, but I'm going to do the easiest possible thing that I can think of while I'm there. I'm going to come out, I'm going to be in debt, I'm going to be broke, and then I'm going to tell the Washington Post that I regret my decision. <laughs> you know i i mean i think you bring up an interesting point particularly like um i think the highest let me make sure i get this right the you know as far as people with degrees the highest uh number of folks in a particular career is 
are teachers, right? Mm-hmm. So every in the four year degrees, teachers mm-hmm. have you know the most you know kind of um, spaces in that in that um, in that area. And so, and I think when I think about like someone that that majored in math, like one, you gotta, I think you gotta love what you do. Mm-hmm. Right. And I, I agree with you. And I think there's a, there's also some nuance to what you said, not just like people like finding it easy. I think there's some folks who don't know what they want, right? Like they may not have been exposed enough to things. They may not, you know, we, we still have so many schools that haven't even given uh, black kids high levels of math to even see, or they may have just, the teacher was afraid of math and passed that on, you know, um, to their, to their kids. Right. And so to their students. And so I think so often there's so much of that, but we got, man, I've met so many black youth. They're like, I don't know what I want to do. I know I need a degree and then I'll get a degree and then I'll figure it out. Right. And so then they're just going and showing up and just like, all right, well, I'll pick that or I'll choose that. Um, instead of, as you said, like if you're an engineering, you probably had some exposure, you were interested, you love math, science, you know, cause it was interesting. A couple sciences were on there. Right. And so those are mm-hmm. things that, uh, you know, and I think we got to keep exposing our kids, giving the opportunity, recognize all little kids are scientists. They all trying to figure something out. How do we make well, sure let me we see keep this too. Uh, I just want to make that. one quick point, which is mm-hmm. they didn't break it down by race. Mm-hmm. And I think it, I would find it really interesting because I don't know that it's, it's black folks or brown folks that have the most regret. Because if you went to college and you came out with a degree and people of color, regardless of what it's for, if you're working, you might be feeling okay. I don't know. Oh, they didn't break oh, it down by race. Oh, There's look, a lot of white folks who make their decisions. Oh, yeah. oh, I don't want to make this a black thing because like no, no, no. I folks. wasn't saying it from like no, yeah, I yeah. I agree with you. Like they were doing it overall, but you know, I'm just adding like just a you know yeah. layer to that, you know. Our um our yeah, our experiencing kids. Well look, man, I, I you know, we've every I mean, we're never not talking about politics, right? You know, mm-hmm. uh when the show politics come up and we we know there's a whole lot of folks that like Politics shouldn't be involved in education. We're just like, wait a minute, you use politics to underfund it, to ban us, to, you know, redline us, to decide what we get, all the resources, use politics, but don't talk about politics, you know, when you're talking to us. Um, So both on the show, as well as outside of the show, we're always talking, you know, some of it is tongue in cheek, some of it is just like interesting because we, you know, part of what we bring to the table for political views that has a lot of overlap. I look at our, our work as like a four, um, you know, four integrated Venn diagram, you know, um, the circles, things that we kind of have our own ideas about and then things that we have, um, you know, internal that we're all committed. That 8 million black children obviously is, is in the middle. Mm-hmm. We come from a lot of different, you know, political views, perspectives, you know, y'all used to get on me cause I, I shared, you know, and, uh, you know, like transparency. Because before we started talking about being transparent, we just talked, right? We didn't say like, I'm about to be transparent. You know, <laughs> this is a safe space. Like all this weird language yeah. now that people have to, you know, introduce. But I share like, you know, I ain't voting. Why it got to be part. weird? Why it got to be it's, weird? It's bro. different. It's different. You know it's what I mean? Every, different. Everything is like a prelude before like, hey, I'm about to be transparent. But don't let us Are sound you? like the gray in our beards. Yeah, no, well, listen, here I mean, it's, <laughs> like just we talk, some... brother, talk. I, I want to hear about safe spaces. Just talk. Look at what you got to say. But, you know, I shared like I didn't I didn't vote for a long time. Like I was I was like well mm-hmm. into my career before I, I, you know, came to the conclusion that it was a part of a tool, um, you know, to move things forward, you know, um, as a collective, if we can organize it and things like that, you know. Um, and I, you know, I'm, I'm so I'm, I'm happy to have this conversation uh 
you know, about what does political chump, and I got that, you know, bad, part of the reason I didn't vote, you know, Malcolm used to talk about, like, you are a political chump, because he said you're just a tool for, you know, for the, for the two parties, uh, and so I'm, I'm glad to, you know, one, understand, you know, as I got older, like, understand some of the nuance a little better, particularly locally, like, what that meant in Philly, what that meant in West Philly for our councilman, and state senator, but, you know, really excited to have, you know, Mike Bland from leaders, who leads leaders of color, part of Democrats for Education Reform. You know, this brother's from, from New Jersey. Um, he's always been in, in public service. Uh, and before he joined the DFER team, Democrats for Education Reform, he was a campaign manager for Johanna Hayes, uh, you know, mm. who I, I just mm. love and appreciate. I think we need far more dope educators who become, um, you know, politicians who are bringing that you know, uh, that perspective, that experience. And, and for those of you who do not know, uh, Johanna Hayes was the National uh, Teacher of the Year uh, in, in 2018. And I, I had the pleasure of meeting her that, uh, you know, when she got her award and things like that, I was still doing some work with the U.S. Department of Ed. So, you know, uh, you know, that's when I first started hearing, you know, about Mike. And and his work, and of course he was he was also chief of staff, and you know in New Jersey, and you know he 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 was a contributor to Obama's campaign, and so really excited to have this brother on, so he can talk about his work at Leaders of Color, um, but then also some of the nuance of like how do we avoid being political chumps, how do we be political champs for our kids, you know, um, and what does it mean? To do that, right? Because I, I hear so many conversations about just vote, and that's like that's the end game. Like, all right, vote, and then and then what? But how does a, gr a grandparent see like my vote? I've been voting for forty years. What? How do I see the difference in my children's, in my grandkids' education that I didn't see in mine or my children? And I've been voting. I've been consistently voting, right? So don't tell me that it's just that, right? Like I'm not a grandfather. I'm speaking, you know, hypothetically. Mm. But <laughs> Mike, welcome, welcome. Glad to have you here, bro. National director, leaders of my fault. I left the national join out, but you know, <laughs> national director. He he fixed that real quick. <laughs> Good to see you, man. It's always always a pleasure. And for folks who don't know, uh, Chris Stewart and Mike Bland are part of the steering committee for the fifth annual National Black Educators. Um, Black Men Educator Convening, BMEC, which will be happening uh, later in November. I appreciate these brothers' insights and um, experiences. So, Mike, welcome. Welcome, bro. Thank you. Thank you, man. It, it is, man, I, as I said earlier, I feel like I'm a recruit going to Alabama being on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> or Temple. Temple, <laughs> Temple recruits get love, too. You know what I'm saying? Stop hey, listen, it. If we don't go there, we might as well say Jackson State. Give our brother Dion some love. There you go. Yes, yes, yes. Love. But the people that don't know football, these are all college football references, people. <laughs> I know some people that's like, what are they talking about? Why? I was why talking about the football? academic scholarship. I wasn't talking about football, but yeah, go ahead. Mike go ahead. and I are right. talking about football, <laughs> damn it. Oh, all right. I was talking about Temple's <laughs> academic recruits. But go ahead. Go ahead. Get down. Do be great. <laughs> yeah, listen, everybody be great. I mean, this is just, um, you know, when I started getting working in this space and, and being involved in education reform, um, seeing the work that you brothers have done uh, has been nothing short of phenomenal. I mean, having the ability to give uh, brothers and sisters a platform, particularly on education reform, um, and then have the ability to, to digest the political system is something that I think is not only needed, uh, but I'm a brother that I'll tell you all the time, let's not mistake activity for achievement. Let's mm. stop in the hypotheticals. Let's stop living in the land of about to do um, famous words by now Congresswoman Johanna Hayes. Um, let's get to work. 
Um, because a lot of times in our spaces, we hear a lot about the problems. Um, but hopefully we can, today we can offer solutions and, and really dig deep because this is something that is very, I, beyond sensitive to me, this is something that's near and dear to my heart. Uh, when folks talk about their why, this is my why. Um, outside of my two beautiful twin daughters, this is why I wake up every day and, and grab my hammer and go to work. So I'm, I'm looking forward to being here, jumping into some dialogue. And um, this, is, this is fun, man. So I'm looking forward to it. So Mike, let, let's start off. Like what, you know, tell us about your work specifically. Like leaders of color, what do you do? What does it represent? And how is this, you know, um, important info for, you know, uh, you know, communities of color, particularly, you know, sure. parents and community members that send their kids to school? Brother Sharif, you've been in this game longer than I have. Um, and I do not mean that as a slight, but I, I No, it your- was, but it's all right. It's all good. It's all right. <laughs> it's all right. You're like, yo, you old, so you already know what I'm saying. Like, it's all good. Much Listen, you're, you're, you're a giant in this game. Um, and I really mean that. I mean, for, you know, we use this phrase that we stand on the shoulders of giants. Mm-hmm. And I remember when I took this job in 2019, July 1st, uh, you were one of the six names that came up on a this huge um, PowerPoint that I had that, you know, had to learn more about education reform. Um, and, and, and who were the major players across the country specifically that looked like me? And so Leaders of Color was found, I like to say, on the back of a napkin. Um, our president, um, I like to call him one of the greatest mentors I know, Brother Shavar Jeffries. Yes, sir. Um, yes, sir. All right. Got to give love to my brother Shavar Jeffries, man. I love that guy. And, you know, um, it was a concept that said, you know, for far too long, black and brown folks have had decision makers in their communities uh, that don't look like them. And oftentimes, I think what made us a good match is I, I've said for, for, you know, I've been doing this work for over a decade now. And the problem is that we don't have folks that have lived experiences that look like us at the table. Right. So folks living in the land of about to do, they pull a binder, they'll do a focus group, they'll do polls, they'll do all they'll do all these great things. But what they won't do is go to the communities, ask the folks that live there. Um, and so when I think of this work, I think of um, I, I think of a sister back in my hometown called Sister Dorothy Bowles. She lived in the. Uh, Garfield Court, Garfield Court projects. And um, anytime you wanted to give votes, you went to her family, you went to Miss Jean Hastings family. Um, because not only just to give votes, but to learn what was going on in the community. I always said, if you want to get the black vote, you had to, you have to talk to folks who live there. Similar to when I started this work, another sister that was, another sister that was doing this work was Sister Sarah Carpenter. Um, I call her the grandmother of education reform. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Because when I, whenever I, gotta, gotta love us Amon Sarah. Um, when I'm in her presence, uh, constantly she is, um, you know, beating the horn of, well, Mike, this is what we need to do. So what are you doing? Um, and I freeze. And, and I was honestly, because I say, uh, we're not doing enough fast enough. Uh, a lot of folks say, take your time. But, you know, here's a problem. Uh, we've been taking our time for far too long. Everybody's been telling us to take our time. So Leaders of Color was a concept that was derived to give Black and Latino leaders in their community who make up this large enclave of the communities in urban districts where we are where we are marginally represented. And we see that we have folks that don't look like us, um, excuse my phrase, but I often call them the colonizers that look like us uh, doing referendums and laws. And we wonder why we still have the same institutional problems. I also say that, you know, just because you're black or brown does not mean you know everything or you have the tools that you can properly speak of for our community. Because there's a problem. Um, we just haven't been given the tools. We just haven't been given the advice. We just haven't, you know, a lot of folks don't know what a budget is, let alone you're asking folks to, to, to do 20 million or $20 billion budgets. Meanwhile, they only have about less than $1,000 in their bank account. So how can they manage a city budget? 
So Leaders of Color was founded to give folks leadership tools, to give them political tools, to give them advocacy tools, to show them, hey, um, whether you want to be a political leader or whether you want to be a civic advocate, let's give you the tools so you can, you know, so we can go past step two. So we can get past the first base. So now let's go, let's go, let's hit the home run or at least get the third base. And when we go to third base, we can take our, we can take somebody else with us. So, you know, I've been in this role for three years and the greatest thing, uh, the testament to this work, we've had over 74% of our leaders become civic leaders in their community. Um, we've, uh, we've helped elect over 30 leaders or folks that are in positions of power. And uh, it's going to make the difference. Hopefully, you know, we know Memphis has been going through a tumultuous time in the past, this past week. Um, but I like to say we've helped a lot of leaders in positions of power in Memphis. So, um, and then we also have New York City. We also are in Washington, D.C. in the state of Louisiana. So we're looking to expand, uh, looking to go to work and continue to empower in our own community to give them the tools for success. No, I, I love how you talk about like the tools, right? Because it's not just, the, oh, I love black people and then jump into, right? Like it's, it's like, how do we train our replacements? How do we support folks? Um, and I, what I did not know that you shared was this goes beyond people who are going into a specific political seat. You said, you know, civic leaders as well, you know, uh, which would include school boards. Absolutely. Let me tell you sure, that that is. And then, Chris, I'd love for you to jump in, um, you know, about that as well. It, it has to be school boards. Um, you know, our school boards are one of our biggest fiduciary arms in our communities. Um, and so when we look at who gets contracts, uh, who gets hired. Um, we look at our curriculum. We look at the advancement of curriculum, the, the, the school infrastructures. A lot of times we're just we, we've let the same folks who've been there for the same time. And, and, and believe it or not, my community is criminal to this. We have five folks since I was in middle school. And that's I'm, I'm dating going back to 1997 who still sit on the Board of Education. That is an indictment on the system. Now, that's I, I'm not negating their leadership. But what I am saying um, you mean to tell me there are folks in the communities that are not only gone and, and left and learned, but there are other folks in the community that could be that could have valuable input. Right. So when we think about what our what you know, what our, our black and brown babies need in all of our communities, the people who are making decisions for the last 30 years can kneel, can, can can still not sit at the table, and make the same decisions. And we see the same thing in the United States Congress. So, uh, Brother Shreve, I, I, I'm, I'm talking about from school board all the way to up to the United States Senate. These are issues, these are systemic issues, systemic problems that leaders of color are trying to inoculate and, and be, a, be a, uh, I guess, a solution to the problem and build that ecosystem that everybody so wants so bad that the Republican Party has done so well um, providing the ecosystem. Look at the, you know, the Amy Coney Barrett of the world, the, 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 the sister in, 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 in Georgia, the sister over in Colorado. And they, they, where did they come from? They came from school boards. Mm. And they paved the way to get them in positions of Congress. And we're saying, well, where did they come from? They were built in the ecosystem, right? So it's even this, this cry to the Democratic Party, let's invest in ecosystems such as leaders of color and other phenomenal organizations around the country who are trying to build an ecosystem, who are trying to build a bench to better not only the local politics, but the federal politics as well. So. Mm. Yeah, I appreciate that. Chris, and it's particularly school boards, which you were a member, um, and you've watched a lot of school boards and you also encourage many people to run what you know how does this land with you and particularly what is some of the training and development you think that future school board members should have or who's the right profile to you know um you know to be on there i am nervous about people like oh yeah i'm passionate about kids i don't know anything about budget i don't think about management i don't know anything about any of that but i love kids so school board is the right spot for me i'm, I'm nervous about that too so how, yeah. how do you think about all of that 
I mean, I think it'd be hard to give somebody advice to be as good of a school board member as I was. Um, <laughs> yeah, I can only imagine. Because I was the best at it that <laughs> there has ever been. Um, so it'd be hard. No, w let me say this. Let me say this. <laughs> let me say this. First of all, there's a big barrier between things, uh, between running for, for elected office Mm -hmm. and common people people think that uh I, you know what am i what do i have to offer uh you know i i you know i don't have i don't even have the skills or the background or the time or i don't have a college degree or i don't you know so there there's this artificial barrier between people in the process of power and what i like to remind folks is not everybody's got to run for everything and not mm -hmm. everybody's got to run period uh, there's lots of roles that have to be taken up and have to be played. One of the very toughest roles ever, for instance, like with school board. If someone decides to run for school board, uh, most of the good campaign managers are sucked up by other offices. So there aren't a lot of great campaign managers even for school board members, which leaves this huge opportunity and vacuum for uh, people who want to access democracy in the system and, and play a role and be a part because supporters, uh, cat callers, uh, um, you know, marchers, people who will stand with you at board meetings while you're running for, for, for your candidacy or whatnot. There's a role mm -hmm. for everybody. Mm -hmm. So I just want anybody listening to this, no matter where you are in life, no matter what you're doing, you can have power in the process because you can participate, you can support, and you can develop, you know, into a candidate if you want to be one. And if you want to, you know, we need more educators running for state rep, state senators. We need more parents and more, more people on the ground running for school boards. We need more people on, more educators and education-minded people on city councils and in, in mayor, uh, mayor's offices, right? Um, some of the best people I ever worked with when I was on the board were people that were uh, um, educated related before they got into political work. Meaning I'd meet somebody at the mayor's office or somebody who's a staffer on the city council for one of the city council members who really got education, understood it. So when I would when I would request that we work together or come together, I knew that I had allies in different offices. And that's how you form a movement. So um, I, I have joked before everybody should run for school board once just so mm -hmm. you get the muscle memory of what it's like, just so you make yourself heard. You don't even have to run to win. That's the other thing about running for school board that I like to tell people. One role that people play in running for the school board. How you gonna have a W hat on and then still like, hey, just you could lose, just go in. There is a way to experience. run for a school board even when you know that the, the deck is stacked against you mm. because you know that you're gonna have a platform that people are going to listen to Bring and you get the to, issues. Right? You get the issues into the into the media. Mm. So yeah. when I ran, I wasn't hundred percent sure I was gonna win, but I didn't care. I didn't care whether I was going to win or not. As a matter of fact, I ran like I had nothing to lose. And mm -hmm. I told the truth everywhere I went. Went. I raised issues that other people didn't raise. And uh, I won with 42,000 votes. Just want to mm -hmm. say this, which is it's more not than minor. I, it's, it's not, not minor. minor. It's not minor when I won that in the city. And there's a lot of people who win state office who don't get 42,000 votes. Um, and then I was on a school board. I was an activist and I was on a school board. Uh, nothing remarkable that I would say other than it was a very big learning experience. Not everybody is cut out for it, but everybody can support somebody else doing it. And that's what I've been doing since. When I left, I, it was just clear to me within a year and a half, it wasn't for me. It was just clear to me like I could be more dangerous outside of that system. But I have supported so many people since and everybody can do that. Yeah, yeah. No, and, and I'm so glad to see Jumoke in there um, 
uh, Doc, and you've worked with, uh, you know, Sister Jamoke, you know, so much, and particularly like the school board. And I, I want to tie two things. One, what you saw, like how can communities rally around leaders of color, um, particularly like in this space, whether they're politicians or school board, like any of that policy space, Cole. Um, and then, Mike, I would love for you to piggyback off of that and really share like how, you know, leaders of color and other organizations like yours, how do they build up, you know, you talk about ecosystem to like grow and nurture, what's the ecosystem of protection? Because, you know, if you stand up for black children, black communities, you, you're basically painting a very large target on you, you know, um, and those yeah. daggers are going to come from all over. So, you know, Cole with you, um, shout out to uh, Sister Jamoke and, and it, everyone else who's on school boards or have been on school boards who, you know, um, you know, spoke truth and, and really weighed in for, for kids because it's not the safest space, you know. Well, the funny thing is, is how Jamoke and I actually met was when I was still uh, the vice chair of the Black Young Dems in California and we had just co-founded Black Young Dems Bay Area, and we were meeting because I was going to run her, I was going to help run her campaign for school board. Uh, mm. It didn't go that way, but me and her ended up becoming really good friends and doing this work. I think, um, the, the, so the answer around how can you rally behind leaders of color, this, that, and the third, I'm going to be, y'all know me, man, real answer, right answer. Right answer is support your leaders of color, make sure we pushing people to do X, Y, and Z here, here, there, whatever, right? The real answer is when you get local, like I think a lot of times people think of politics as just only this very nat national thing, party identity and stuff like that. When it gets local, yeah. where parties don't really matter as much and it's people kind of the same race, like, you know what I'm saying? It's it's It becomes a very serious conversation. So we had a rule uh, just in the Young Dems, right? Like, which was kind of kind of held us back a bit, but we had rules of how if there's another black person in this race and how you're supposed to engage and do X, Y, and Z, uh, far be it to say that a lot of those rules went out the out the window and especially everybody that was running that was a person of color was not out for black people or to be very fair everybody maybe everybody thought they were serving black people but they really disagreed and how it happened and how it worked out so i think the best thing that you can do if you're listening is be informed on the issues that's coming up be informed on your school board members job i think a lot of people are not fully aware of what the responsibility of somebody in that role is or in that office is. And I think the first thing is that you got to become informed because the other side banks on you not knowing what the hell you talking about. For instance, school board members don't hire and fire teachers. They don't go in and tell schools how they run this, that, and the third. They have a very <laughs> uh, direct, uh, strict role that, that, that is their job. And a lot of times uh, voters don't know. And to be quite honest, in places like Oakland, uh, there are a lot of school board members that overstep those bounds and it's just mad chaos. So I think the best thing you can do is make sure that you are informed. Uh, but we got Mike on. Uh, I'm sure Mike and I love Defer and all that stuff, man. So, um, you know, maybe Mike has a, a, a different spin or answer on that. I wasn't trying to bring the room down, but, you know, I think it's been a big thing about what well, support your leaders of color, support your leaders of color. What if them cats want to kill me? What if them cats is not really for me? What if them cats is fighting for these crumbs that don't that no longer serve me and there's somebody else behind that? And these are not hypotheticals. <laughs> this was yeah, like my life. Political chumps. This is, you saw political yeah, chumps, yeah, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. And, and I mean, and, and again, only reason I, I just say that, Mike, I'm going to throw it to you this time, I promise. But only reason I say that is because I knew that there was a lot of people that looked like me whose hearts was in the right place. I know that there was a lot of people that felt that they was doing the right thing. I know there's a lot of celebrities, for instance, 
as soon as the union, like the teachers union comes and talks to them, they automatically trust them because that's how we've been trained to do. And I think that you identity politics on certain things, you got to read the fine print, especially when you're going into somebody's voting booth. I'd rather you not vote than just vote blindly. I'm just that I'm just going to be a, a thousand on that. Dad, Cole, the young Democrat just discouraged people from voting. Good Lord. I did not. I said, no, what the hell you voting on? <laughs> What's up, Mike? Listen, I think, hey, hey, Brother Cole, listen, this this is the problem. I say I'm the toughest Democrat there is in South of heaven because I, I feel that. Um, a lot of times when we, you know, think about these races for school board that go on a post. Then think about the folks that are running. Again, like I talked about, folks institutionally that have been there for over 20 years. Um, you know, the, the one thing that I live by, whether it be leaders of color or what I've grown to, to as a former college athlete, this acronym is TBA, Trust, Belief, and Accountability. And then we have this saying internally in our own kitchen, the black and brown community, not all skin folk with kin folk. Mm-hmm. When we worked, for example, when we worked to get President Obama, we worked our tails off. And I won't cuss because I'm a, I'm a, I cuss like a sailor, but I, I don't, I don't. I, and you fit right in with these two, bro. Like, <laughs> hey, dude, be great. Do your thing. What the hell are you <laughs> talking about, Sharif? Well, when we worked our ass off to get President Obama elected in 2008 and 2012, what we failed to do was continue to go back in the midterms and work local elections. And then when we got people of color elected, what we didn't do was go to those city council meetings, those school board meetings, those county commission meetings. And I would say not only help them, but hold them accountable. For example, we, we get we get one of ours elected for the first time. We're like, oh, for the first time in history, they, they've done this or they've done that. They've gotten elected. So then what? And we disappear and wonder what happens while they're getting our raise three to one in the next election. We're not hosting fundraisers for them. We're not hosting town, town halls mm-hmm. for them. We're not writing op-eds on their behalf on the uh, referendums, laws, and legislations that they're getting passed. So for us, it's it's also to because it's work, right? I, I often look at the the political process like the like the, the exercise process, if you will. You want to lose weight? You got to work at it. You want the political system to work for you? You got to work at it. You just can't go vote and walk out. You got to continue to, you got to uh, energize, mobilize, and organize. And I often say that's what happened. That's how we got a Donald Trump. And I don't want to go down this hole. We got all cute because we got Barack Obama elected and folks similar to myself got great paying jobs and got put in different agencies. And then we forgot who we were. We are, as a people, we are collectively our organizers. You can go back to, you know, when we got 1619, you can talk about that. We organized how to get ourselves out of slavery. We organized ourselves past the suffrage movement. We organized ourselves uh, during the civil rights movement. And so it, we organized ourselves to get sisters, brothers and sisters like Shirley Chisholm, Charlie Rang, so many different folks, people of color elected. And then we forgot, oh, we, oh, we worked hard enough, so then we got to stop. And so the same thing happens in, a, in, in the education system. Um, and the one thing that I would call out, Sharif, and I think you probably can remember this when you and I were at a conference, the one thing I say, um, healthcare becomes a crisis. Roe v. Wade becomes a crisis. The one thing that's not screamed from the mountaintops is the education crisis in this country. And, and I pause there because when you, get, when you read a report that says our kids are two years behind, but then you read some of the great work that our, that our leaders are doing, and I, you know, I love to call out one or two of our leaders, our educators in um, the soon-to-be, hopefully, 51st state, Washington, D.C., where their babies are proficient in beyond grade level. But now we're saying our babies are two years behind. Well, where's the crisis behind that? Where's the emergency funding behind that? Where's the caucus behind that? Where's the great collective meeting behind that? And so that's why we've got to continue to work in this thing called electoral politics, because it is a constant struggle, because it is work, because it is a progressive science. 
We've learned from, from 2008, from 2012 to 2016, or 2019 from COVID to now, how you organize in political in these political spheres are totally different. It's a, it's a collective, excuse me, it's a progressive science, but the one thing I could always go back to, particularly people of color, we know how to organize. That's why when they want to win, they come to us, not just because we're in the margins and we can push them over, because we do it better than anybody else. And so collectively, when I say when folks are discouraged about the voting process, they're discouraged about, well, I don't know if I want to run. Um, here's a hint. We've been here from what, you know, 1500, 1600. Um, nobody's coming to save us. We are the ones we've been waiting for. So that's why, particularly in leaders of color, we try to push our leaders and say, oh, don't say wait. Because the crisis is already here. Nobody's coming to save us. That's why we put over 70 hours in training black and brown leaders. That's why we put the work in to, to, to pay to get them a, a good one-on-one -on -one coach for an extra 10 hours of work, right? We want to expose them to different conferences and different, you know, different areas and, and, and give them that organic space where collectively it looks the same, but it's different geographically. And so where else can we do this? And that's why I push our leaders. I always say, so what else are you doing outside of your geographical area? Stop saying it's different. It's not. It looks the same everywhere. I just came from Puerto Rico and it looks exactly the same here as it does in Hartford, Connecticut. Right. So so when are we going to stop working in silos and start saying, OK, let's roll the boat in the same way. And so not to not to sound constantly harp on a problem, but I think we have to start offering each other more solutions and stop thinking we don't have the answers. When trust me, Sharif, you've been in these rooms as much as I have, brother Chris. Right. We've all been in these rooms and we sit back. Am I the smartest person in this room? This, this thing is not that this thing is not that hard. It's just us putting the work and the sweat equity to do the work. Hmm. How, how do you react to that? Um you know, Chris, particularly in like communications, right? Like how do you, mm -hmm. how do you, you know, so much of this is like, you know, communication and, and I really, what I love uh, about that, it all resonates, but very particular that stood out, Mike, was this idea that, you know, getting elected is not then just party for the next four years. You know, it seemed like sometimes people were organizing and working hard at creating memes, you know, about Obama than actually jumping in and doing the extra work that has to, you know, continue, right? Because other people were organized. Like racism is always organizing, <laughs> you know? So like the fact that people were putting their guard down is to me the most shocking, less shocking than Trump winning, shocking that people continue to put their guard down while you're behind enemy lines. Like to me, that's mm. the crazy, like just assume you're always behind enemy lines. That's right. In these spaces. And what are you going to do? But Chris, like, how does this all play out with like, you know, communications? You do that professionally. And what are, you know, we're trying to think about like grassroots and other communication efforts. How can that kind of come together to, you know, do this support, but also the accountability? Because, right, because accountability got to be more than just four years later. Like, oh, you're accountable because I'm going to vote you out. Like, that's four years. That's a long time for people to be. Mm -hmm. pushing mm -hmm. nonsense you know say i'm a i'll get you in four years yeah i mean so listen communications can only get you so far you can mm -hmm. only do so much with communications and politics and voting uh we have a democratic president we've had uh democrats hold all the cards and the power to be able to change things we had money fall from the sky from every direction uh, you know, almost $200 billion showered on schools and states that didn't know how to spend it and still haven't spent it all. We have lots of politicians who talk a lot of things, but every four years, it's only, it's fu fully fund our schools versus school choice. That's the only kind of, that's the, the size of the imagination of the mm. people that we're voting for. So we are suckers, dummies, and chumps if we think we're going to vote our way out of the pedagogical problems 
that um, that are are beguiling our children. So so the real problem that I see here is that education problems require education solutions, education problems and pedagogical problems and knowing how to run a good school. Uh, if we fill this conversation right now that we, we're having with 20 to 40 people who are running really good schools, who know how to use a budget and staff and curriculum and time and, and uh, a schedule to get the most out of learning, those aren't people who are going to be running for office soon. So the, the, the disconnect between what a politician knows about schools, who you're voting for. So we're voting for a whole slate of people. I can name prominent Democrats right now that are Twitter celebrities were voting for them so hard. And when I say we, I'm not a Democrat, so it's not me. I'm just saying there there's like we we socialize these people into almost being the next Harriet. Right. Stacey Abrams is is the next kind of like, you know, like her her, her win in in as a governor would be monumental for us. The problem with thinking that way is that many of the people that we hold up that are running for office and winning have no education solutions. They don't mm -hmm. know anything about education. Many of them are middle-class or, 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 or uh, first-gen middle-class college-educated people who have adopted a whole language and a way of thinking, very uh, ambitious people who wanna be governor one day, when they they've been on the school board for three weeks, you know, they want to run for Congress, you know, whatever. And that's a whole different group of people. That's not education people. The whole group of people that I know that are running for offices in different places who've been on the job that they're on for five minutes and now they're ready to go to Congress or whatever. That's a different animal. That's a different species. That's that's a political species who's going to pitch you political things. And when it comes to education, they're going to put their hand up and they're going to figure like which way is the wind blowing? Because, uh, you know, it, it's a mechanical apparatus that gets you elected to these these offices, which inquire, which requires organizations and vested interests and people who have a lot of stuff going on that has nothing to do with schools or education. So I don't blame you as a person who's college educated, trying to rise up the ranks in the Democratic Party, any party and become elected for saying very facile and surfacey things about school. Right. Mm. Talking in complete talking points. Uh, uh, you have a con conversation with someone. Listen, you better agree with them on everything else besides education, because when they start talking about the education part, they sound like they're 15 years old. They sound brand new half mm. the time when I talk to candidates. So anyways, that, that's not the message I think that is supposed to come out of this. But I am telling you, no, I think it's helpful. I think we're not going to vote our way out of this. Right. And, and I think most of the people that we try and elect to offices or whatnot and get elected are, are eating ed educational baby food. When it comes to, to the, like, a, like if I had to write a speech for someone right now, I did this at a, a dinner we had last week. At the end of the meeting, I asked people, tell me what would be your speech that you need a leader to, to give right now. Like to stand up right now and give about education. You write it for me right now. Give me your first like kind of opening sentence or whatnot. And they were pretty good. But I know what mine would be like. Mine would be much stronger than anything we're going to hear anybody who's running for office right now say specifically about education. But they can't say it because they don't think about education enough. Mm. Is it that and they're afraid of losing out the gate? I mean, like, just imagine have, like what, what would you have to say? Right. And will that get you or lose you supporters? 
I mean, look what they're saying right now. On one side, you have nothing but people saying, we're going to save your white children from being indoctrinated by Negro educators. Mm. Right. That, that's mm. their whole scare tactic. Their, their, their entire educational platform, thing, yeah. platform <laughs> is choice and hate. Two <laughs> things. They only got two things on their agenda, choice and hate. And, and they only want choice because they hate. Right. <laughs> they want choice so they can stay away from your black ass. Right. So 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 they so one side is giving you choice and hate and the other side is giving you kids better have my money. Kids better have my money. More money, more money, more money. We've elected hmm. both and we've gotten both. We've gotten a wave of school choice laws passed and ain't nobody getting an education. And we got bucket loads of money showered from the skies on another side. And, and kids are still two years behind. Uh, so, so where's the third option? Where's my third option? I don't know, man. I, I think doing something is your third. I think, I think like, I agree with you. I, and I think I heard that a little differently. I heard Chris Stewart say, you know, the game is to be sold, not told. Like, I think that this is like, mm. it's a game, man. Like the job is to like sell you on some stuff, right? The job is, is, is hard to, to go deep into this topic. And I got to, you know, you got all these things you vote on. So let me give you something that sounds pleasing to the ear. The issue is a lot of us don't know what we want. We've actually not stopped and really thought about what that means to kind of show up. So now we all showing up to a negotiation table where we take it for granted off top, right? And I'm saying all this as a Democrat and somebody who worked in the party, but then you show up and, and then we got, you got the microphone and well, what do you want? What do you stand for? What does that mean? We get talk point to death. And then when the substance time comes, there's nothing there. And then people try to, and they'll take advantage of that. And I say this with love because I remember when Obama got elected, I remember my NAACP meetings. I remember being at the BART station when it was announced that he won. I watched people stop in their tracks and old black people cry. Like, like it was a moment, you know what I'm saying? But again, it's like, but what, what are we asking for? And what is it that we're getting? I think a lot of people, when you say hold somebody accountable, I don't think people really, you got to ask the next question. Remember, we've talked about this before. What's the next question? We're going to hold this person accountable. But what does that mean, right? Mm. What does it mean to hold somebody accountable? I think a lot of people think that means, well, I'm going to just be angry and I'm going to just yell at this person. And I don't know if that's what holding accountable is. Holding accountable is saying- I'm going to vote him out in four years. Yeah, I mean, but, and then somebody else going to come in and tell you something else that sound good. This is, this is- this is game. I'm telling you, man, y'all need to read Pimp. But the, I'll just say this, right? Like, this is game, yo. It is. Listen, what other profession, what other profession do you lie constantly? Do you make things, are you a professional demagogue? Do you make people think if they vote for you or put their trust in you, all their problems is going to go away? A pimp. This is pimp shit. Sorry, I, Mike, I do curse. I'm sorry. But... <laughs> accountability is saying hey we voted you in on this now that you're in what is the plan what is the practical plan how long would this take and if it doesn't happen in this time what what is it that like what what can we do what needs to happen and it's not just voting for somebody like and you said this chris i don't want to steal what you said right it's not just voting for somebody then backing up it is saying yo check this out like I now have work to do as well. Hey, man, I'm reading your, your weekly newsletters that you put out. I'm showing up at your meetings. I'm checking on this stuff because what do, what do you need for your babies to be okay? Most people in school boards, listen, man, I, I won't say the person's name. I'll just say this, though. I still get calls when people run for school board. And I talked to the school board candidate who eventually won. And I said, listen, man, you have a real strong opinion about this and you trust these people, this and the third. 
if and when you win, you're going to get access to so much information and so much knowledge that some of which you can't even share with people, some of which you now have this responsibility of governing and shit is going to get real interesting for you. So kind of go a little easy, bro. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Don't have hubris in this stuff and what it is that you're about to do. And I and I think that we have to prepare our people to be ready, man. And I and I I just can't don't stop putting your future and all your faith in one person, one entity, and in a system that feeds on itself. Because Democrat, Republican, listen, man, I vote. I vote every single time. But when I come to something I don't understand, I do not vote on that thing. I think that's being a responsible voter. And I think that a lot of us are moving forward with with a lack of understanding. I just want to say I agree with most of everything that you just said, Charles, but you made me laugh because I just admitted a couple of days ago that I have a strategy for voting for offices that I don't know what they are. <laughs> what is it? It's not a good strategy, <laughs> but like I might not like your name. Like when it comes to the like the, the water <laughs> oh. board, like the water board and stuff like that, you know, and I see like a, a Nasifa Muhammad. I'm like, yeah, you got it. This you, this all you. The water board needs you. Now, I don't know what that person is thinking about, but that I do know that people don't spend enough time educating all of us in the public about what mm -hmm. all these different offices do when they're running for things. So half the times I'm wondering, did they run a campaign? <laughs> like, did right. you even try to engage the public? Because I got all these vote decisions to make. I only know five of them out of 10. Well, well listen, let me just say this, right? And that is the whole plan. I'm telling you, Republicans, Democrats, interest groups, I help put these together. We send out a little, a small little index card that might be long, and we tell you voting is coming up. Here's what you vote for, and they go down the list. Mm -hmm. We are we are hoping that you don't know what the hell you're looking at. Listen, y'all remember the clear the Clear Skies Act, Clean Skies Act, right? Don't that sound great? Mm -hmm. They do no, that I because don't. exactly what you said, Chris. <laughs> no, they do it because exactly what you said, though, right? Yeah, that was yeah. a Republican initiative that was about trading credits around in ways that we could still pollute and China could do what they needed to do and we could keep breaking money. But we we purposely you were purposely misled. And it's not just one party that does it. The point that I'm making is, is that a sucker's born every day, man. And, and, and at some point we have to take we have to take some collective accountability and responsibility around what are the two or three things we want and and kind of like not get bogged down with stuff. Because we talk about Republicans. Here's what Republicans do doing. Here's how they win. They know who their base is and they know what to say. There's a really good book called What's the Matter with Kansas? I read it mm. when I was a policy major and it, it says, why do people vote against their self-interest? And they break it down. You can apply it wherever. Again, this is not an anti-voting thing. This is a pro-civic union, and you need to do your due diligence as somebody who is a part of this of this republic. You know what I mean? Because that's what <laughs> part we of that is civic classes, not just in schools, but teachings in the community. Mike, well, how do you how do you respond oh, to all this? And, and also, sorry about that. No, no. How would you respond to to you know what you know the points that that uh, Chris and Cole made? And in addition, folks who may apply for the twenty twenty three cohort. Of leaders of color what are you looking for so if you could you know share both of those yeah I, I would say first and foremost is loaded and having dialogue being a black and brown man in america or being a black and brown woman in america is always going to be loaded um generally generally speaking when you talk about the water board uh one of the things with leaders of color what we like to do is talk about all the boards 
See, as soon as he said waterboard, I started thinking about CIA torture camps. He's talking about like the right. board, like the school board, the water department board. board First thing I'm like, there's equalization board, water board. There's a there's board board yeah, yeah. In, in the bay. Yeah, right. I mean, I, I remember when I when I ran for city council at 22 years old, I lost something about by like 107 votes. And a month later, the mayor asked me to be on the um, the zoning board. I had no idea what the zoning board was. Not knowing that it's the most powerful board, arguably the most powerful board in the city. But when we don't sit at these tables, when we don't sit at these, when we don't sit at these tables of decision making, the not only the lived experiences are absent, but our opinions and what we know traditionally that is going to work best in these communities are left not even at the door; they're just non-existent, right? Because what you what you don't see does not exist. So. You know, for me, Sharif, when you talk about what I'm looking for, the 2023 class, look, 2024, and I I hated this term. It's almost like the term when, when folks say, kids are resilient, black and brown folks are resilient. Y'all don't think we're tired of being resilient? We all walk around with bags under our eyes. Why? Because we wake up and got to be freaking resilient every daggum day, right? So, but I say all that to say 2024 is the most important election of our lifetime. I got to be wild. Mike, Mike, I love you, Mike. You dope. If I don't hear that shit every single section, every single time, 20, 2000 is the most important. 2002, 98, 68. Why is this one more important, bro? This is more important than when we was deciding if we was going to become a country or stay two parts. This is, this is more. <laughs> Tell me, Mike. <laughs> Tell me how it's the most important shit. Don't hit us with the lines, B. No, I'm not. Listen, what I'm not going to be is Democratic Party. You good? I'll give you a hard time, man. A lot, a lot of times you're going to say, "Yo, we need to cut his mic off." Well, <laughs> what I will say is, what we encountered post Donald Trump was Reconstruction 2.0. And what did we do, right? Because I, I will say we have to own something. Let's not act like we don't own anything or we can't control anything. We have to own something. And what we're now seeing is this thing that we call the democratic process, right? Democracy as we know it, whether it's totally worked for us or not, is, is literally unraveling before us. And so we have a decision to make. Are we gonna sit here and say, well, I'll wait for Joe Biden or I'll wait for uh, Fetterman or I'll wait for this great candidate to run? At some point, we have to realize we are the ones we've been with. At some point, we have to realize we have just as much juice as the next man. Will it cost money to run? You know, Sharif, I love when people say that because I point to Marquita Bradshaw. Marquita Bradshaw came to the Leaders of Color program. She uh, raised $20,000, ran against a candidate in the state of Tennessee who had $2.1 million. She beat that candidate. And a lot of people don't know this. She was the only African-American woman that was the Democratic nominee for United States Senate in 2020. Mm. In the state of Tennessee. So when people say it can't be done, I'm talking about $20,000 versus $2.1 million. Oh, by the way, when she ran for office, she had $5.17 to her name. That is not a talking point. I know that for a fact, right? Y'all had sister Shalia Harris on, right, a while back. Shalia Harris came through the Leaders of Color program, one in the Trump Plus Three district. So at some point, we got to give a goddamn about putting us in front of folks or in front of images that we think are possible because they are very much possible. We are seeing the shift of I need to see more people that look like me. Y'all talked about educators need to run for office. I love when educators need to run for office because they get the simplicity of a, a, a you know, they understand Medicare for all. 
They understand universal pre-K or the concept of universal pre-K. They don't need a binder. They don't need talking points. They're like, you know what? I know the difference when Billy's, when Billy's little badass walks in my class. I know the little difference between he doesn't have a doctor. So his doctor is either the emergency room or urgent care. And so who's going to pay that bill? What that okay, like? so so I, you know I gotta get on Charles' energy. See, this always happens towards the end of the show too, right? See, so so so, like we should have started this earlier, but bruh, bruh, we're the people that we've been waiting for. This is the most important uh, election ever in our history. We gotta start organizing. We're so good at it. Our backbone. We're blah 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 blah. blah. This is why I'm not a Democrat, bruh. Man. We got so many black faces and white spaces in the Democratic Party. We've elected so many of us. We won the election. We saved America multiple times. We saved elections multiple times. Um, we were the we were the deciding factor between uh, uh, fascism, authoritarian rule, and democracy. Like like so that's us, right? And we've got everything from a vice president to a couple of senators to lots of house people in the house. And I swear to God, bruh, I hate to say this. I hate to say this about my own people. I haven't heard a bright idea about education and none of these fools in forever. Now I know y'all can't say that because y'all got to elect these fools, right? But there's an educator from New York in Congress. There's a bartender from New York. There's a grassroots person. There's people that get Medicare, Medicaid for all, uh, there's people that get uh, civil rights. There's people that understand when to kneel with the kente cloth around their neck. Uh, we got all kinds of like Democrats who got all kinds of like uh, uh, virtue signaling behavior on everything. And like I said, from the top to the bottom, we have a vice president of the a leader of the free world all the way down to people on city councils. We own entire city councils, entire school boards, entire school districts, entire superintendencies and everything else. And to continue to tell the proletariat that the way that we get out of the things that we are right now is to keep investing in the bourgeoisie that only wants a better position within a fucked up system. Right? Well, Chris, I'm not saying that. But I'm not that saying is that. like I'm like not like I know you're no, not no, saying I'm that. Not, I'm not you. I know you're not saying that, but I'm just saying we have we have elected so many people. They're there right now. I can show you pictures of them. We got them. Right. We we already won right. the elections. We own right now. We own a White House. Why we got Uncle Uncle Biden up there, and I don't know what he's doing. He don't know what he's doing. But Kamala hey, gave you, know, you a she get Kamala gave you a, a a march. You know what I'm saying? We had a party. She I, I talked about HBCUs, you know, like they, they, woo, man, we got all and Mike, and Mike, it ain't you, Mike. I, like you said, like, I, I love me some, some Shavar, man. That, that, that's actually a brother for real. You also talking to Chris who wrote a whole report around Democrat led cities and the education quality in those places. It's the same thing. If you look at, and I'm a Democrat, like I'm saying this as a Democrat, right? But at, at some point we got to hold ourselves accountable. I live in a black suburb. I don't trust the water here. We can't even drink water. So it's like, yo, like at some, it's, it's a lot of black places that's ran and we we put you in and it's rust in the water. It's all kind of stuff in the water, right? Like Mississippi, like that shit is brown, man. It, it ain't you, Mike. We just talking like we at a conference, but I just, I just, we have to only, only, only thing I was gonna say, only thing I was gonna say, Mike, <laughs> only thing I was gonna say, Mike, only thing I was gonna say, and I said this last week, 
We just got to give people more than we the ones we've been waiting for. We not Trump. Trump was so bad. Like we gotta, we gotta yeah. stop. Like we run off black people's pain. We run off black people's fears and what they're scared of. And we never just say, what do we actually want? Like, what are the things that we actually want to see happen? But pain, black pain is so prevalent. It's such an easy, low-hanging fruit. And it's often the best way to go when you run the campaign. I say this as somebody who's helped run campaigns. And it's it's jacked up. But again, the game is to be sold, not told. But go ahead, Mike. I, I, I know, you know. You are amongst friends, I promise you. I swear to God, you are. <laughs> no, listen, I love this. I, I love this. And I'll tell you flat out, I, I oftentimes, particularly now, I'm I'm a person that gets up top in the morning, watches morning joke from six to eight o'clock, I'm up for coffee, take my I check my notes so I gotta react to anything rapid response. The Democratic Party to me should be the doom and gloom party. And so when I talk about ecosystems and pipelines like leaders of color, I'm talking about look, I told y'all before, all skin folk ain't kin folk. Everybody can't go where we're trying to go. Because you got to remember, Harriet would have killed some of these folks. I didn't want I didn't want to say the name that I wanted to say, but Harriet would have killed some of these folks. These are the folks that we are trying to take with us, folks that are barbers, the AAU coach, right? The folks that are principals, the folks that literally understand their communities. They're not giving a shot because either they're scared of the process or they don't know about the process. That's yeah. why I believe in ordinary folks can do extraordinary things. And these are the kind of leaders that we're recruiting and leaders of color. These are the folks that we're looking at our 2023 cohort to help run for office, to help run for state legislatures, to help run for county commissions, to help run for school boards in 2023, 2024, 2025. This thing is not going to change with the same people in the same playbook that the Democratic Party is going to give us. Right. Like I've been at those tables. Right. Where you where you probably agree with me. There's no way I'm the smartest person at this table but because we run off of fear. But what happens if we turned our fear into substance? What happens when, you know, we, we oftentimes we hear about 10 different policy plans or policy. I tell anybody that comes to a plan, don't give me a 10 point policy plan. Tell me the three things that you're going to do. Because you got to understand the common voter, the common voter that votes in a presidential election, they only read in the third grade level. And then your midterm voter only reads on the sixth grade level. So a lot of times they can't even read it. They, not only can they not read a policy paper, but they can't even read the, the, the general newspaper that they get every other day that's in front of them. Right. So. What we, to me, and this is why I'm kicking and screaming and banging on the table, we need ordinary folks to step up and do extraordinary things. I'm not, listen, I love Jim Clyburn like everybody else, and I'll probably get killed for this tomorrow. But do you not think that? I don't think that it's time for, we, we need somebody else. He's done the work, but we need somebody else. We need other folks to step. We can't say, no, nah, I'm not running. That's not for me. Why is it? So yeah, who's Ray probably having a heart attack hearing you say that right now. Right? Who's coming yeah. to save us? So but you know what? We I need a majority somebody else's. I'm just gonna be real. I hate to keep pushing on this like this, but bro, we need it. We need an upgrade in our leadership. It is time for a lot of people to lead or leave, right? Clyburn is just a good example of where you make a career out of it. It's not public service anymore, where it becomes your long term job. And God bless him. He's he's like he's used that seniority through some times where it's been useful, right? Like his his seniority was hard earned, and he used it in some ways. But the corporatist Democrats right now couldn't be more disconnected from the proletariat. And they're all, uh, uh, um, they should all be vulnerable to uh, a recall in some ways. Like, like it, we don't have a problem electing people. We have a problem holding them accountable for results once they're elected. So someone needs to like get in a laboratory and figure out the second part, because the first part is easy. We can get people elected. We've proven that we can elect people. 
we can get lots of people elected. They don't look like us or sound like us. They they, they may look kind of like us, but they don't really. It, once they get into them rooms and start doing their things or whatnot, stuff changes. We don't have a way to hold them accountable once they're there for results. Not just holding accountable, just in general. Well, why, well, how, some, well, why know, am I worried about you holding me accountable if you're going to vote for me at a no 90 what, plus? If you're going to no vote for me at a 90% clip anyway, like... And Cole, gotta, before, because I know we're running out of time too, but I want to oh, use that point to uh, just... Go ahead, I'm sorry. Get Mike, I'm just to respond one more time, then we'll get into closing thoughts. So that, that, that piece... Brief. Stay no, no, we're going. Right. This we, is good. We, we ain't got no choice. It's ten o'clock. We're going late. Like, so. <laughs> hey, can you? Can you also? They asked for Ray. Ray. Can, you, can you? You didn't uh, let him know what's up with Ray. Just you know, he wishes he could be here. That was an injury suffer, but he'll be oh, back. Oh yeah, no, well, no, Ray. Ray, when he found out that we weren't talking about Republicans, he just bailed. On us, <laughs> you know what I'm saying he just said he like, like, no, I'm done. like, like I'm yeah, done. yeah, yeah. You know, then he heard about you know talking trash about Clyburn. You know, he's definitely. I got he turned back, us Ray. Off. I got his watch. Ray wants to be here. He just said that. He turned it off. You know what I mean? No, shout out to, to Ray. We we'll see. You. I still love you some Whip Clamber. Don't get messed up. I'm just, just, no, no, I'm just teasing. I'm just, my, you know, that's it's an opportunity to, to troll Ray on, you know, on, you know, live. You know what I mean? But no, you know, much love to Ray. We'll, you know, we'll see him next week. Um, you know, this idea of, you know, what they were both saying about Democrats too, because I think this is a, uh, you know, and again, like Chris said, we're we're ending on this. But this is just a continuous conversation we've all had um, everywhere, right? Like, and so when you think about that Lyndon Johnson quote, I'll have these niggas voting Democratic for the next 200 years. Um, and, you know, what that means, how Malcolm looked at, you know, the fox and, and the wolf and, and political chumps for, you know, being married to, to a group, even if they look like us, but they're not from us, right? And everybody talks about Fannie Lou. And we mm -hmm. saw the, you know, the establishment, how they push back. We we know folks now who may be Democrat, but if they buck against the machine, what that looks like, right? So all of those things. And then just a the practical piece, Mike, I would love for you to weave in. Even if you got the folks who were just like, you know, I, I, there was one white candidate in Philly and he basically was like, yeah, I'm gonna let the two black candidates out black each other. And yeah. then I'm gonna step in for the win. Yeah, you know I'm saying so. Just even the technical, practical logistics of all of this, you know, and then the splintering and all of that, like right, like how, the marriage to the Dems, the you know, the tactical part of it, and what's this next generation of leaders? What should it be, right? Like, I mean, I, I think if anything, it should be as 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 close to, you know, um, the Fannie Lou's and that, and that kind of a. Uh, you know, uh, space, but I, I don't know if, you know, if we're middle class and we're only thinking one way, I don't know if, I don't know if that's going to happen. You know what I'm saying? Cause middle class, but not radical enough. Right. And I, I think that's part of my issue is there's very, you rarely see something radical. And when it's radical, they're, they're called black radicals. When it's normally a lot of, you look at the black radical stuff, you're like, yo, this is just, this is basic, normal, commitment to human uh you know humanity <laughs> you know like this ain't this ain't like radical the way y'all make it seem but black radical is now you know like that's like oh stay away from that even the you know uh black folks who are like no we got to play this particular playbook they're like no the black the black radicals are too far you know over and i'm like yeah we need more radical and look at that as centric <laughs> you know really i i think and this is a this is a great question is borderline emotional. I think when you talk about what the next candidate of the future 
candidate, particularly around the Democratic Party, looks like they do like they do look like, for better or for worse, the AOCs, the Ayanna Presleys. Um, they look like folks who give a damn about humanitarianism. And, and I and I say that because there isn't a I think this ideology of hard left or hard right, I think we're arriving at this apex of humanitarianism, not even capitalism. Like, do you give a damn about your neighbor? It, it's one of the old things and, you know, where they say marriage or relationships, whatever. Don't tell me you love me, show me you love me. And I think that's what American people are saying all across the country. I think that's what black and brown people are finally saying across the country. And this is what I love, right? Whether it be um, whether it be black folks in Philly or whether it be like my Latino brothers and sisters in New York, we're all saying the same thing. We're all reading off the same sheet of music. Like, you know what? This establishment has to go. One of the things we're seeing, and, I, you know, and, and I've been pressing other folks, we're seeing where places where they want to win seats, we're seeing more progressive, if you will, progressive doesn't mean progress, but more progressive leaders winning because the progressive fight almost looks more like humanitarianism, right? When we talk about the education system, the problem I have with the education system is nobody is screaming about crisis, but nobody that has a platform, if you will. Is that intentional, Brother Sharif? I don't know. Like I said, you've been in this game longer than me, but I'm going to be sitting Oh, yeah. I mean, especially who, who goes there. Like, all you got to do is, like, who yeah. attends public schools, particularly the ones in the areas that are more likely to vote, um, you know, for a black candidate. Who's going right. to those schools? And where did the where did those politicians go to school? You know, Chris talked about right. this chasm earlier, right? Like, who's going to those schools, it's particularly the neighborhood school? You look at neighborhood schools of Philadelphia, man, I don't think there's a thing. There might be one. There might be one or two uh, Black folks who actually attended some of those schools. And they're in, you know, they came from a different, they got a different perspective, different lived experience, different talking point, different urgency. Yeah. You know, because they ain't they ain't go to that neighborhood school that that a lot of us uh you know went to. I, I, you know, oh, go ahead, Mike. I, you you, you just sparked some, bro. You sparked some. Yeah, go ahead. No, I don't want you to lose it. Go ahead. And, uh, I mean, you and I are of the same party, Mike. It's me and you, baby. The, the, the rest of them, they Sharif is on some other stuff. You know, the other one's a libertarian. Some days he he's switching. He don't know. He just switched. I don't know which one he is, but I'll let him tell it. But what are you talking about? You said you said wasn't a libertarian no more. You just said it last, like a no, 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 no. That's not what I said. That's oh, okay, I'm sorry. Said. See, That's hearing is fundamental. My bad. See, see? but see, yeah, but, hearing is fundamental. But but <laughs> youngster. But, but Mike, you and I, you and I are, are Democrats. We have this party. We have sacrificed for this party. We have given money to this party. We have helped vote, make people vote. And I have felt like a liar at times for what I've had to do to kind of get people there. And then we get our person in and then, oh, it's not time for that black issue. It's not time for that black thing. You know what our party really got to stop doing though, Mike? And, and I'm going to tell this, you got to tell us to Shavar too. He don't do this, but our party got to stop putting the pressure and the fate of the world on poor people. It, it got to stop saying like, Y'all, if, if, if you don't do this, public education will collapse. If you don't do this, democracy will collapse. If you don't, I'm just trying to fucking live, man. Like, I'm just trying to pay this rent in Oakland. That's the most expensive place in the world. Like, like I'm giving you everything I got. I'm, I am getting beat up. I'm getting knocked upside the head. We got movies for it. And I hear you when you say, ain't nobody talking about on their platforms. All I see is people talking on platforms. Everybody got a damn platform. But, you know, and a lot of people that's holding those platforms and talking that talk don't even want the people that they talking about serving in their vicinity. 
We built Black Lives Matter got built on the death of black males, and then the damn website didn't even name them in it. They wouldn't even like them, bro. Like, like, so if we gonna have this talk, and it's just us, damn a crowd, right? Like, right, I, listen, right. I, I, I still like, like, there's Democrat stuff, and I still help, and I still support, and I still do what I need to do. And but if it's something I'm not feeling, I'm not gonna vote for it. But I am at a place. This is what I want. This is what quality is to me. Because there's a lot of those people. Every and let me just tell you this, bro. Everybody in the hood, everybody that we talk about, everybody not on that super extra left progressivism, man. A lot of that mm-hmm. stuff turns people off. A lot of people. Somebody put in the comments, we ain't ready to, uh, they said something about we ain't ready to sacrifice for radicalism. There's a lot of black people that done been through a lot of shit and ain't trying to like <laughs> put it all on the line. They want to go to work. They want to make sure their kids is safe and they want to live good lives. And it's like, damn, just being black, we got to, it's just a place that we got to go. So, and again, you just, me and you just to stand in for the Dems, bro. But I like accountability starts with us and it starts with like, I stepped away because every time I brought up black issues, it was always some other group that was more important. And we was always, we got to wait, we got to wait. Meanwhile, most of my damn friends is dead. Most of these, I lost so many people back from when I was young, the violence to like health issues, all this stuff that Democrats supposed to care about. But these cats is at the Met Gala, B. So I'm just, I'll stop there because that was a lot and I'm not trying to be extra emotional with it, but I just want to have a real conversation about it, if that makes sense. You feel me? Like, I know I mean, the y'all, right Y'all don't tell the truth real, about, about huh? Democrats. I mean, like, listen, I think if you're, if you're Ray, part, bro. if you're Ray and you're a Republican, you got to tell the truth about the Republicans, right? Yeah. If you're me and, you know, you're breaking with, like, I broke with the LP, with the Libertarian Party, I'm now a Green Party member or whatnot. You got to tell the truth about no matter where you are. When it comes to Democrats, and especially when on the issue of education, this is the problem. In my in corporate Democrats of color are white progressives when it comes to education in blackface, right? There are no uh, black education champions leaders who are leading on the topic rather than following on the topic. Their talking points. Their agendas, what they say in campaigns is the exact same thing that white progressives say, as if their interests are exactly the same as white progressives. <laughs> That's probably why they attack right? Mike and Shavar and other folks like that, right? Because they're, Well, they're, they're, and not just him. I want to say this because, like, you know, Mike, to you, bro, I mean, you just mentioned, uh, 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 you know, Ayana in, in, in Massachusetts, right? And you also started the show by saying that you love uh, um, uh, um, Sarah Carpenter, right? Right. Well, Ayana's the one who uh, when when Sarah brought a whole bunch of grassroots folks got on a bus and went up to Massachusetts to interrupt uh, Elizabeth Warren's speech to say, you're not going to keep talking over us or above us about education. We want options. We want black options. We want things we don't have. And we need you all to stop talking this unionist corporatist mainstream democrat nonsense that you, you you're talking and who was the person who came to the mic to to temper down black women who had come from miles away to have their say and led by uh uh, uh sarah right it was ayana right it was a white progressive in blackface now i know we can't say that you know maybe y'all can't say that as democrats but aoc and and ayana and you keep going down the list 
have 99% of their, their, their agenda where I could like at least shake my head and be like, yeah, yeah, I can see how you would want that. I'm down with early ed. I'm down with childcare and food for kids and shelter and housing and water and saving the planet and climate change. You can keep going down the list. I'm down with all of these things. And then you get to their education agenda and it's a straight up unionist agenda that has very little imagination for people of color except for bigger budgets. We just need more money. That's all we need. And oh, by the way, the majority of the money is not going to make it to the kids. It's going to it's going to have to go through the filter of the staff. And by the time it gets to the kids, it's only going to be in the in the form of a nickel for a dollar, right? That just you know, it's hard for me to agree with Democrats on so many things. But when they, it's almost so uniform that when they get to education, they have such a lack of imagination. And I'm talking some of the the, the youngest, brightest, uh, most social media all-star type of candidates in the party, when it gets to education, they sound they sound five years old. They sound brand new. Brother, Brother Chris, this is what I'll say. And to, to Dr. Cole, and I love that it says Dr. Cole. That, that's, that's a different way, bro. But I'll tell you this. I, I felt what you said, Dr. Cole, when you said you don't see... And this has been my fight, and anybody who knows me will tell you one of my biggest fights with Democratic Party. Black men, we only show up when it comes to social justice, marijuana reform, or uh, civil rights reform, right? We don't show up in any other spectrum. Hell, we don't even get polled. But here, here's where we are. Here's why leaders of color is important. We have an opportunity to, and I won't say reimagine because I'm not asleep. See, when I hear folks say that word reimagine, I need you to wake up because I have to live this trauma every single day. With leaders of color, we have the opportunity to recruit, train, and prepare black and brown males, black and brown sisters to take over in this space, right? To take, to put in the work, to put in the grunt work to say, I need to recruit, you know, if Ayana is the bar, then you're right. We got to go higher than that, higher than a Johanna, right? But it doesn't exist if we don't have organizations like leaders of color. If Shavar Jeffries is not bold enough to say, hey, listen, Mike, I, this is an idea I have. Do you think it can work? Because a lot of folks will say in this space, it's a great exercise. It's a great social experiment. We'll see what happens, right? Well, folks are getting positions and then they'll freeze, right? But if, if we're not there to prepare folks with the tools that have, that have been given to our colonial brothers and sisters that they've had for decades, for centuries, then I'm not going to sit here and lie and excuse and say, you know what, well, damn, well, Ayana's not doing this, or damn, Jahana's not doing that, or I may not understand why AOC is so radical because it's the second poorest congressional district in the country. What I'm saying is I want to develop from the local level, alongside other black and brown leaders around this country, from the local level all the way up to the federal level, a new leader that understands lived experience, that comes from lived experiences. And, and Dr. Cole, you're right, but I've seen it, man. You, you're right. I've seen it. I've lived in it. I know we... We're usually the staffers that have to go with our, with, you know, members of Congress or city council members to church on Sundays and drive some kind of familiarity between us and the pastor and, and, and let them know that they got a clap on beat when Pastor Minato Jeff will say if it comes on. But mm. what I'm saying to you, we have a great opportunity. And so I look at my benchmark in 2024, whether we're still in our four major cities or other areas, to say we have to drive new leaders that look like us, that have lived experiences. So I'm going to say, Brother Chris, you got to run for something else. You may not say, oh, I'm tired. Or, I, you know, I can't do this. Or, I don't want to do this. Um, we don't have time to be tired. 
our wrestling is only for a second, right? So if we want to change this thing and we're not, if you're not, if you and I aren't sitting at the table saying, hey, brother, I need you to help this person to get to, to not only to run, a, run for office, but show them what this looks like, how to raise money, how to use their funds, right? Because we know the first thing they get us caught up in is in wire fraud. Like, so just imagine if this doesn't exist, how much worse could it be? So that's, I mean, that maybe I live in, maybe I live in the land of the island of optimism too much, but I believe like this thing called leaders of color is going to transformationally change our cities and then change, hopefully change our federal government sooner rather than later. But we've got to have buy-in the same way we talked to on brother Sharif, right? Did you have the new breads? The same way we invest $200 into some new breads every other month. I need brothers to invest $200 into leaders of color, right? I need two, I need brothers to invest in $200 in brother Sharif, what you're doing for black male educators. I need us to make those same investments. We're not asking for donations. We're asking for investments. And that's what we have to teach our folks in our community to do. If Bernie Sanders can raise millions of dollars off of five and 10, 15, $20 donations, why can't we? And that's the same cry I say to our communities. Don't tell me we can't raise money. Don't tell me you can't. Yes, you can. And, and, and it's not always about money because I've, I've literally seen it. I saw it my first year here. We've got to make the investment in each other, man. And as much as I love Mike and all these other amazing things that we spend money on materialistic things, We've got to turn that money into black and brown political power. And I guarantee you it can happen faster than you think. Well, look, we're going to um, wrap up. You know, thanks for the audience who've, uh, you know, stayed with us. You know, uh, we're going to go into final thoughts. Uh, Doc, you want to kick us off? Yeah. Mike, yeah. you're going to end it. We're going to come back to you to, to, uh, to wrap it up. Yeah, and I wanted to start by thanking Mike for coming on and just kicking it with us, man. Again, like I think... I think people, I think, I think people are just not used to seeing just black dudes just talk freely and, and, and have real conversations. So thank you for kicking in. I hope you felt welcome. And I hope you know that you're welcome back anytime you want to come back. Uh, I'll start my piece off because somebody asked in the comments, well, why do you keep, why are you still a Democrat? Right. Uh, so let me just tell you, um, one of the things is, there's, if I look at a list of people's values and groups values or whatever the case is, um, and I look and see which one I check the most boxes with. That's the one I look. I'm still Democrat because I've invested time. I've put sweat into it. I've worked there. I've helped people get um, elected. I've helped, you know, people support people. Um, I've been asked to run, but I actually think that I had a lot more power behind the scenes. And that's why I, I tend to stay there. Uh, and because I do think there's some potential there and they just need to be pushed. And I think that both parties, all major parties, the same way corporations or whatever, bank on people not having information. Well, damn it, you got one that got some information. You got one that done seen how this thing go. I would prefer, and I would personally appreciate, even though I don't know if the masses is ready for this, I'd appreciate a school board member that's running to say, check this out. School board is not just about educating kids. I know you think that, I know you wish that that were true, but it's actually usually the largest economic system a top three job provider in cities. And this ain't just about like, education is one part, contracts is another one. Who gets contracted to do the grass, to cook the food, all that stuff, right? Like if somebody was really honest about that and understand and, and, and had that conversation, I personally appreciate that. But I think sometimes as a people with everything being complicated, we need a simple message. So I would just say this, man, Mike, you are right. There is opportunity, there's always opportunity, bro. But just like anything with potential, potential got an expiration date. I think that people have been sold a message for so long that when you are dealing and, and you are constantly trading in black pain or black fear to do things, that fear and pain turns into apathy. 
And that apathy turns into ways that I just got to survive. Because if not, if the organization, if the apparatus is not thinking about me, well, I have to now become narcissistic to survive, right? Like, and then we get mad at people and say, well, they ain't thinking about everybody else because they felt like nobody was thinking about them. And we are allowing people empowered, I got resources to act like they in the same boat with us. They ain't in the same boat. They is not in the same boat. Some people is on a raft, yo, and that thing collecting water. And some people is on a yacht. And funny enough, the people that own and buy yachts are the same people talking about, we got to get rid of capitalism. Okay. Guess what? All these parties, <laughs> both of these major parties, love them some capitalism. So I, I don't know where that goes, but I just say, man, thank you so much for being here. Uh, and thank you for this engaging conversation. Uh, and, and love to Sarah and Shavar. I owe you a call, good brother, man. And uh, and I hope that you come back, man. I, I really hope that we can keep having these conversations. And people, vote for whoever you want to vote for and do what you need to do. Like, I know what I'm going to vote on, but like, don't just wait for the pamphlet to come. Don't just wait for the track to come. Like, know what you voting for. And like, they ain't gonna never change if I can count on you like like the damn next bus is coming, B. And 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 we gotta start negotiating. And, and just as I close, I would love for black people to act like free agents. Act like LeBron James. Sign a one-year contract, every a two-year deal every single year. And the team that want me the most and come get me. Come talk to me. You know what I'm saying? We just so happy to be able to, to, to ring that hammer down that we forgot to ask for shit. And I, that's my prayer for all of us. Figure out what you want to ask for. It. Hey, Stuart. What's your final thoughts, sir? <laughs> well, I want to make note that there was uh, a hater in the crowd tonight who made uh, two comments from a fake Facebook group. And just want to acknowledge, we see you, white nationalists. Uh, uh, I see it. What they say? In, in ed reform. Uh, not enough black people know the real work that needs to be done once, oh. if ever, uh, if we ever solve the race issue. That's why race is the only issue they know how to approach when it comes to education, right? Um, the racists never so, so, want so. you to talk about race. It's always, it's like a fascinating phenomenon. No, my the, favorite the, thing is how brave they are, you know, so much brave that they get to, to create fake profiles. Sure. I mean, that's their that's that's their ancestors, right? Like yeah. KKK hoods, fake uh, profiles on social media. I, I see a, a thread there. You know what I mean? Yeah, masks, uh, keyboard warriors. So, anyways, I just wanted to make note of that. Also, to you know, Mike, uh, love the work that you are doing. So, when we give kind of like these type of analysis that we give, it's just us trying to be as true as we possibly can to the subject matter, right? And you know, that's what I'm trying to do here. I feel like I owe you that. Uh, you know, um, I feel like I owe uh, um, Shavar that and everybody who's doing the serious work to try to get good leaders into place. So you're hearing my 54 year old cynicism uh, <laughs> is what you're hearing. And you're also hearing my well, frustration. I'm going to say, damn. I'm yeah, like, you know, <laughs> off my lawn. Get off my lawn, <laughs> God damn it! We did this in the '80s, and then we do this in the I'll, '90s. I'll time it next, next time you say '54, I'll, I'll have a time better. Kevin I gotta watch that joint. Yeah. Hey man, you look damn good for '54, man. I'm glad you were with us amongst the living, B. Yeah, I appreciate y'all. 100. Um, but here's my bottom line on it. You know, as uh, a new member of the NEA, I just want to put that out to everybody. I am a member of yeah, the NEA Chris. now. Yes, yes, yeah, Chris. Yes. 
So, uh, and a, 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 a returning member to the Green Party. Um, I am uh, changing in my politics uh, and being more, uh, taking the, the rose-colored glasses off because we do need to make progress, but we can't do it with, with the people that we have right now. Uh, and that's Democrat, Republican, anybody who's in the mainstream of politics right now. When it comes to education, I don't expect them to know much. We know in our networks, lots of people that run good schools and that are educating children every day or trying their damnedest to do it. And they know some things in terms of pedagogical interventions in how you use um, the science to uh, impact learning. These aren't insignificant uh, items to know if you want to talk about education. So when it comes to people running for office, I think my, my advice to voters and to parents and to other people who are going to be asked for your vote is to ask a few questions to anybody who's running for anything. What do you know about teaching and learning? What do you know about data and outcomes when it comes to schooling? Uh, don't just ask about education and don't just settle for answers around we need more money or we need to stop the teachers from indoctrinating or any of the dumb things that people are saying. If you get a, uh, a facile, meaning surfacey answer from anybody running for anything, tell them that. Tell them that their answer is not good enough and tell them that you will continue looking for another candidate until you find someone who can speak to the issue of teaching and learning, outcomes and data. And then go from there, right? If it's a Republican, if it's a Democrat or whatnot. Also, I know one thing that Sharif wanted to talk to that we didn't get to in this conversation was, can we afford to be a one-issue voter, right? Mm. A year ago or five years ago or two years ago or you know, some time ago, I probably would have said yes, because education is the most important damn thing. The, the intellectual development of Black people and Black children is the thing I'm going to ride my hat on and blah, blah, blah. Since then, uh, people gave me a whole bunch of other things to worry about, too. So the idea that I'm just going to vote on school choice or vote on charters or vote on education and forget about the fact that we need clean water, we need health care and medical and all kinds of other stuff in our lives uh, to be successful, can't be a single issue voter. So anyways, brother, thank you for coming on tonight. I really appreciate you uh, um, taking this onslaught, uh, you know, because, you know, we got one Democrat uh, uh, and he was even kind of harsh. Yeah, uh, so that tells you Democrats got some issues because even he's hey, like it's rooted Democrat in love, man. Stuff. It's rooted in love. <laughs> uh, anyways, I appreciate yeah. you, brother. I appreciate Shavar and all that y'all are doing. Yeah, Micah, your closing thoughts, bro. I appreciate you uh, coming on. Hey, man. I thank you, thank you all. I mean, you three brothers are phenomenal. Like I said, this was um, borderline bucket list for me. Um, the one thing I'm passionate again, outside of my two beautiful daughters, um, and what we can do to do to protect Black women, Black and Brown women, um, are ensuring that Black men, Black and Brown men, have a space because we don't. Um, it doesn't matter what party you belong to, doesn't matter what corporation, what institution you belong to. Oftentimes, I feel like we don't have a space. So thank you for that. Thank you for the work that you've done um, because this is, it, it means a lot to me. Secondly, um, Dr. Cole, you're right. I, I need folks to understand that as much as you may or may not want to run for office or be involved in your community, we have to, we have no other choice. I really mean that nobody's coming to save us. I'm not gonna you know, dwell in fear. Um, we have to stand up for what we believe because 
ideally, when we sit down and think of an issue or we think of problems, you'll be surprised. Maybe you are the only one that has either thought of that issue or you're the only one that lives in that issue. And we need more lived experiences in our government and our community versus folks that live in the land of about to do or that need a focus group or a poll to tell them what to do. Third, I would ask everybody to visit our website, leadersofcolor.net, find out what we do, who we are. Um, if you know folks that live in Memphis, DC, New York, the state of Louisiana, please tell them apply. Do we plan on expanding? Absolutely. Um, but as we know, we can only go so far as the dollar goes. But I think um, for better or for worse, we've done more with less for a long time. And I'm tired of doing that as well, brothers. But I will stop. <laughs> I'll end on this. We have a great opportunity. And you're right. I don't care if it's Stacey Abrams. I don't care who it is. And but Dr. Cole, like you said, why am I a Democrat? I'm a Democrat because when I wake up as a black man, in regards to anything, I think there's only one party that I can lean on for support. There's only one party that at this time, there's only one party that I can lean on for that kind of support. And I may grow to a different ideology 20 years from now, 10 years from now, five years from now. But when it comes to getting the work done, I, I, I can identify these are the folks that I can get work done with. And I think whether it's folks who have the indigenous folks here or the folks that have migrated here for a better opportunity, we owe it to ourselves to continue to fight for that. So um, I, I would love to come back and, and talk about, especially the union talk. Oh, my God. Um, I'd love to talk about that and, and how we've defeated unions. Um, but let's talk about how we can continue to do that work. And I'm trying to come to Sherry. I'm trying to come to the ATL. Trust me, I have a phenomenal two, two brothers, uh, excuse me, a brother and a sister that we're working with to try to make that happen. But, man, this has been this has been so heartwarming. The only thing that really sucks today is that the Raiders lost. But, you know, Ohio State won, so there's that. But uh, thank you for this work, man. And um, like I say, we don't sleep. We just take long-ass blinks. Um, and that's and we got to get up and, and, and drive with the hammer in our hand every day. And let me just last point. I want to say I, I just want to say thank you to all the fellows that have come through our program the last three years since I've been here to do this during a pandemic, to do this with such financial insecurity, economic insecurity, economic instability and say, I want to go get these tools. I want to be I want to be in this program to help change my community. Um, and they stayed in it at a 98 percent attendance rate across the country, over 215 folks. Phenomenal. So I just also want to give a huge shout out to our leaders. So thank you. I just want to say that the brother made me change my hat <laughs> when he said defeating unions uh, as the newest member of the NEA. You got a, what you got a hat rack right in front of your, your uh, computer, bro. <laughs> as the newest member of the NEA, I would like to welcome you to my hat. Uh, <laughs> welcome you to my hat. <laughs> And you will come back and we will have that conversation. <laughs> yeah, most stuff, most stuff. Look, Mike, I listen, every every time you know we get to connect, I'm you know, I'm grateful for it. I'm I'm grateful that you're in this space pushing and challenging. Um, you know, against the norm, even within a a uh traditional, you know, party, so to speak, because of you know, the, you know, the age and you know what is done and all of that. I appreciate when you and Shavar are able to be inside of a party and push and challenge it. You know, um, I, I think that is such a critical part. Like we need, we always had to have an inside outside game, you know, um, outside of uh, organizations and systems um, and parties as well as inside of it. Because if it's just the outside folks, that's not going to move as much as if it's strategic, right? You know, right. Um, inside outside game, you know, um, I, I think we need, we need far more independent thinkers, right? Like I, I think that 
out of all of this, that's what I'm hearing um, all of you communicate, you know, in this space, you know, particularly for, for education and education is rarely, you know, everyone, you know, it becomes a thing when people are like, oh yeah, they are the uh, uh, education mayor, or education sit, right? Like it is so rare they actually get a title for it. If they even mention anything about education besides the broadest, blandest, weakest points. Right. And, you know, I, I want I want I want people to show up the way their their uh, posters and their T-shirts show up. Right. Mm. When they talking to all, all of that about like by any means necessary, how about we educate black kids by any means necessary? Let, let me see what that looks like besides your 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 cute poster. Besides that, besides your T-shirt, what does it actually look like to educate black children by any means necessary to me that's that's what this is, should be uh you know should be about and that's what we have to push and challenge and force um you know folks to to do and not just hey i'll see you in four years i'm gonna vote you out right like not 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 that kind of thing like no like and not just the the hollering and screaming at the at the press conference either because that ain't enough either right mm -hmm. but there's some you know you, you actually what are the, what's the strategy who else can you align with that's going to block some of the nonsense that they're trying to push and then come back around right like and you know people also don't want to be called out right who, who you know what are those op-eds what are the writing you know when dr king says you want to change the world pick up a pen yo pick up that mm. keypad pick up that keypad organize it and let's let's get to it so there's, there's so much work to do i appreciate you coming on i appreciate the audience being here uh with us chiming in Adding uh, adding content and comments uh, to the to the chat. Um, thank you. Let's continue this conversation. Um, we got much 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 work to do, and I, I agree with Mike. Every single election that's coming up is the most important election of our lifetime. I do firmly believe that because racism and white supremacists are always organizing, and they look at every single election as their most important. So for us to think like it ain't ours. That means that's already we, we're losing. Thanks again. You've been listening to episode 179 of the Eight Black Hands. Mm. Be out there and have a great week. And don't be political chumps.